The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. How do you know, like, are, like when you order food, is the bill like two people higher every time? How do you know that the spirits are with you? There's such a, you know, I used to be the wise ass. I think I've grown up and you regret. You're back. You're back, so I'm back. You obviously don't have anything else to do. Good thing for you, I don't either. Actually, I have so much to do. I have so much to do. I'm writing, right? I'm writing. Got a lot to do. Though you seem to feel I have something to offer you here today, so you're here. What do I have to offer? What can I tell you? Well, you know what? Speaking of writing, I I could. I could. I'm officially qualified to give you a dissertation on how to write a bestseller. Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear from a pro wrestling production company owner, was an Amazon bestseller, a number one bestseller for a long time in the wrestling category. And I've said it many times. It's, you know. It's like being the prettiest girl in the home, you know. But uh, but it is true. So if there's any validity to that, if you take any stock in that, then yeah, then I can I can talk to you about that. And you know what? Maybe I should write a book about it. Maybe I should hold off for a book or some pricey course. Maybe I should go speak live at a convention. How to write a bestseller about the wrestling industry at a convention. But um, now why the hell not for my uh, for my podcast listeners, right? That's what it's all about when you're a part of this. Got to get something special. Got to feel special. You are special. Want to produce this program? Go to patreon.com slash podcast. You can become a, uh, a patron of the show like so many have. Um, let's talk about this. Let's... Oh, what does it take to write a bestseller? I should have I should have written something down. I should have I'm going to I'm going to freeball this baby. Well, firstly, let's go back to my writing of of the book that was the bestseller. My my fiction have not yet become bestsellers. And um all of my wrestling books were briefly bestsellers, but Kayfabe continued to endure. It was like almost 19 months. Uh, you know, more than a year and a half, it kept returning to number one. I don't know anyone else's that did that, if I, if I may take a moment. I've seen a lot of wrestling books released. I don't know who held that spot for 19 months, other than myself. So, um, yeah, but listen, listen, listen. No matter how high on the horse you might think I'm getting right now, not a friggin' publishing company outside of my own comes my way it's still the same schlubs co-writing these wrestlers books oh they want safe and boring and blah 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 you wait you wait until i collaborate with someone you wait until me and one of the workers you know commit to sitting down and putting out the book be the best wrestling book ever written guarantee it i guarantee it 
19 months, number one bestseller. Me, myself, and I. Talking about me, myself, and I. And my exploits in this business. So, number one, writing a bestseller. Have no expectations. I didn't, I had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't know if I wanted to try to go a traditional publishing route. I probably could have, based on the based on a, on a treatment, I probably could have got someone interested for a couple of bucks. One of the wrestling, uh, one of the publishers of wrestling material, Crowbar Press, ECW Press, somebody would have bit, and they would have had a home run on their hands. But you know what? I said, I'm going to do this first one myself. I have no expectations. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what's a good deal or a bad deal. Never did it before. But I want to get into the world of publishing. It's time to write the book. The books. So so I did. So no expectations. I would say that's number one. It, it's I, I, I knew the kayfabe commandos. You'd, you'd all be there. But I didn't know beyond that, you know, that it would be selling copies and copies every day for, you know, a year and a half, two years. We're over two years now. Two years and it came out in November. It came out Thanksgiving week 2017. So it's two years and two months. Still going on. All right, next thing I would say, dedicated time. You're going to have to dedicate time to this. It really you know, can't be done you know, during dinner. You're going to have to squeeze it in. And those of us on, on a busy schedule... You have a lot going on. You're going to have to find a spot. I was lucky. This this kind of, this venture happened right around the time one of my daughters was, um, she, she was afraid to sleep in the room alone. So the deal we had was that I would sit there um, in the room with her until she fell asleep and then I would go. Uh, but I'd wait till she fell asleep, which was fucking hours sometimes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Everything that went bump in the night. So, yeah, I I shouldn't have put on that Wolfman mask and hid in her closet, you know, that night when she when she went to get her pajamas. I shouldn't have done that. That fucked everything up. But that severed leg, that severed leg that I slid under her sheets before she got into bed, I shouldn't have done that. The rubber leg. What did I create? Anyway, so she needed me to be in the room. So what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at, at at a vanity, at a makeup vanity, till you know, my daughter falls asleep. So that's when I, I got so much writing done at that time because it was, it was quiet and you know, she was going to sleep. So I put on my earbuds and put on Soul Town, a little, a little Sirius XM Soul Town, a little bit of black sex music for you. So, um, you know, to the smooth sounds of Shaka Khan, Perhaps a little Jeffrey Osborne, perhaps a little Marvin Gaye, perhaps Luther Vandross, perhaps a little bit. So I would listen and um, and I would write and I would just I, I just started assembling thoughts. I knew like the chapter names. I knew where I wanted everything to go. So I had assembled the chapter names and then I would just open a document like in Google Docs. and I would just hammer into it. And I remember uh, Todd Gordon was reading. I gave him access to the file. So he was reading as I was writing. and Because it's all his fucking fault that I had to do this. Because we were supposed to do a book together. And at the 11th hour, he backs out. And I said, well, I'm I'm not going to turn this 
spigot of creativity off, I'm going to go. And so I kept going. And so he was reading. And he would write me every morning. He'd text me and be like, how the hell are you doing this 10 pages every night? But that was the secret. My daughter's fears wrote that book. Um, so dedicated time. Maybe it's not. Maybe you don't have a, a you know a terrified daughter who won't go to sleep. But um, you're going to have to find it. A good time I found subsequent to that, as my kids got a little older, was mornings. Early morning before everybody's up. If you can get two hours before everybody's up, that's a real productive time. Ideas tend to flow better in the morning anyway. We're a little, our slate is wiped clean. Um, yeah, just get up, punch the boner down, and 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 put on a pot of coffee and start writing. I mean, that things tend to flow. Dedicated space. I thought about this. Um, I just said dedica- dedicated time. Then I was thinking about a dedicated space. I don't know. Um, Stephen King, in a very good book called On Writing, I recommend it, uh, talks about uh, you know a basement space, no windows, no nothing, no phone, uh, put on the music, and that's it. And I get that because to, to be distracted um, is a writer's is a writer's Achilles heel and and our downfall really. And it's almost impossible not to be. I don't do that though. I have I have an office um, that I could write in with with minimal distraction. It's where I set up uh, th- this podcast, but I don't write here. I don't know why. I think I need, I don't know, I, I may, might feel too insular here. I don't know, but I write a lot of times at, uh, I'll sit at the dining room table early in the morning, go out, go out on the back deck. I like to listen to early in the morning before everyone's up, before the sun, in the summer anyway, before the sun starts banging down on the deck. I like the trickle of the pool filter in the distance and me just sitting in the total silence on the deck outside. That's a good place. A lot of, a lot of action got done there. So I don't know about a dedicated space, but definitely dedicated time. Listen, next piece of advice I'd give you, fuck people, seriously. I mean, people are not going to understand what you're doing. People have a tough time understanding what writing is. Writing is not just the practice of the fingers pushing the keys. That's the culmination of really good preparation and organization and a, and a clear mind and a, and an opportunity to sit down and get it onto a file. So that's not the writing. So if somebody doesn't come see you pounding a keyboard, it doesn't mean you're not writing. The writing is part of it. It's taking the walk when you hit a wall and you start to sit down, you put a couple of paragraphs down and you hit a wall and you have to take the walk. And you have to sit in another part of the room for a few minutes. And then you go back and then you hammer out at it a little more. It's the now, I'm working on something now, uh, which is a nonfiction work um, to be filmed, hopefully. And uh, it involves, it's a true story, which involves other people. So I have to get on the phone sometimes. I have to text. I have to ask for details. And one might walk by and go, you're not writing. Yeah, that's, that's the fucking writing. So you really need to either be away from people or just have a fuck people attitude because they don't understand that when you have a career or some pursuit in the arts, some kind of side deal where that involves your time, you can write your own schedule. They think that that's just fucking around. They don't think any work is getting done. 
when actually oh, I would love to, to have a concrete schedule hammered down by the gods of writing who say, you will be writing today from 3 to 7. And I would love that because it's it, because then it's enforced by others and, and, and I don't have to, to feel awkward. I feel awkward sometimes. Feel awkward. I don't want to go to fucking doctor at 3.30. I need to be writing at 3.30, but, you know. Well, can't you write another time? You know, that little avatar starts talking in your head. Can you write later? Can can you do? So now you've gone and you've compromised the practice and you've compromised the process. So fuck people and what they think about someone who can uh, work on their own schedule. As long as you're working and not tugging off. You know, you work and it doesn't matter about a schedule. Generally... Any artistic pursuit has the rule, fuck people. The KC Vault. Want to see all of Kayfabe Commentary's content? It's all going to be up there. There's in the hundreds of hours of programming already on the KC Vault. $14.95 a month. One price. To watch all of our content. These shows were 20 bucks a piece. Just a few years ago on DVD. A la carte. Now, you've got like, I think there's like 90 full-length programs of gay fame commentaries on there. For one low price a month. Watch them as many times as you want. And you should. People tell me they watch some of our timelines three and four times. Watch their favorite years again and again. KC Vault. Go to kcvault.pivotshare. KCVault.pivotshare.com Sign up. Join the revolution. We changed it all. Kayfabe Commandos stormed the Bastille and and changed things. KCVault.pivotshare.com All right, uh, the last time I saw my guest today, um, he was in the company of two spirits from Ecuador. Did I have the country right even? Or was it Honduras? Guatemala, motherfucker. Guatemala. See, I was fucking, I crapped out all the way across, uh, right across the board. All right, Guatemala. All right, I'm sorry. And uh, it's Vampiro. Vamp, how have you been? I've been real good, brother. I've been real, real good. Good to see you, man. It's been a while. I know, you too. I, I really enjoyed our time together. So I was disheartened this week when I saw that someone had asked you about an appearance I did on The Husey, I think it's called, some uh, Irish program. Well, the guy's from Ireland. There's nothing inherently Irish about the show. but um, And uh, they... Uh, I guess he was asking me about these stories. We talked about the occult a little bit on on the U shoot. We talked about uh, Guatemala. We talked about uh, we talked about Alistair Crowley's house in Sicily. Uh, we talked about your membership in some organizations, some secret organizations, or some organizations with secrets. And you were um, a little miffed that I was having a good time with it. I, I think that's how I have to put this. You were a little annoyed that I was having a good time with it. 
And I had to say, Vamp, we're talking about spirits above my head. We have to be entertaining here. But go ahead. You, you will have your piece. I said you could have your piece. The one thing that bothered me most, I hope <coughs> I, I don't appeal like a twat for this saying this, but I was a little, a little hurt that you said you were not able to defend yourself. So go ahead. You have the floor. You have the floor. Brother, if you if you're a Gatorade drinker, you gotta get this flavor right here. Right, Pepino and limon, uh, lemon and pine, uh, cucumber, dude. In Mexico, that's the fucking bomb. Now it's here in Gatorade. Lemon right? and cucumber. Cucumber. It's it's the it's the greatest thing ever. Um, bro, you're my friend, man. I was joking. Good Lord. I, la I laughed when you got all upset. So I had to come and no, give you a hug. I don't think I was upset. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was wonderful that people are still talking about this four yeah. years later. No, you know how it all happened? I was, um, I just did a, an interview with the other day, and it was all over YouTube and things like that. And I was reading, because I like to respond. Even if it's a negative comment, I like to respond. And... Um, at least acknowledge the person, you know, I, I read everybody's comments and I enjoy doing it. And then, I'll, you know how those pop-up windows come up and then all of a sudden this, this thing popped up and the headline was uh, something about me being a lying piece of shit or something like that. I, I just really, and so much so that as you should know by now, if you're in this business, you know, you got to have a pretty thick skin. Yeah. Um, so much, it, it bothered me so much because I looked at the guy and there was you. And I was like, I stopped wrestling probably before that kid was born. So I was compelled to reach out and say something because it's kind of like, what am I lying about? If you disagree with me or you think I'm out there and because of certain things I've done in my life or my medical situation where I'm kind of all over the place and, and uh, sometimes I, I get uh, animated and my character goes down a certain road and I extend things and, and blow them up it's a goof it's fun it's 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 real it's scripted reality so to speak so it's all true but you embellish on things it's just like breaking balls and i'm like who's and it bothered me because i'm an advocate for so many things that are positive and uh, I, I a lot has happened since i last spoke to you and i got and I, this fucking guy who's this guy you know what i mean so it bothered me. I, I said my piece. I reached out. Since yesterday, he's been tracking me down, you know, um, apologizing and setting up a uh, an interview that we're going to do Thursday. Because I said, listen, there's no point in direct messaging me. I'm not reaching out to be your friend. I said, I'd, I'd like you to tell me what it is about me that, that's a lie in your eyes. So Now, hold um, on. Now, I got to ask you, just yeah. because I don't remember. D did he say you were a liar? Because I, I know that I mentioned the Russo uh, podcast when he and Glenn. Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's, it's in the headline of his video. That's what bothered me. Yeah. So it bothered me. Yeah. It didn't bother me. I, I forgot about that Russo and disco thing. Those two fucking guys are nuts. And, and if they had fun with it and they, they made a whole show about it, it's kind of cool, right? I think so. <laughs> Unless they don't really have a life and I'm a topic of discussion. Um, 
Vince kind of Vince laughed like a schoolgirl with each story you told. He was giggling. It was it was tremendous. Of course. I mean, this is what you're supposed to do. What do you, what I mean, it's the whole point, right? That's it. It's entertainment. If if you're not entertaining, you don't eat. Hey, I got you know, I said a few things and uh and I and I was I was like Hey, I'm not the only one who was there, and there's some pretty credible people, um, still uh, relevant in the business that were that saw things that I saw, and they can, you know, they weren't such pussies. All right, let's. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Let's go for anyone who hasn't seen it. First of all, you should see it because listen. The other thing I talked about this on my podcast this week, which came out today. Uh, I addressed the issue and I said I was going to have you on, but. That was like five minutes of a two-hour interview that we did. And yes. you, you, you can never choose what's going to go out there, right? It's like mm-hmm. nobody talks about the hour and 55 minutes we talked about Mexico and your work and all that stuff. The five minutes that has outlived us and will outlive us both is you're sleeping in a morgue and... Alistair Crowley's house. I don't know what was going. I forget what was going on there. Was he? Was he? Was he? Uh, you were just in the house, maybe. You talked yeah. to. Okay. You didn't meet his ghost in any way. No. No. Okay. No. 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 All right. No. Um, no. 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 And uh, and then the uh, the spirit. Now the spirits from Guatemala. That yep. I th- I thought maybe were rats that you had like done wrong and they were just following you. Um, were they in the room with me at you shoot? Because you didn't tell me that. Was I in? I don't know. No idea, brother. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. All right, for God's sakes, I I, I feel I have to ten ninety nine them for, for for the work that they did. Um, yeah, no, I think you're good. <laughs> I think you're good. And but all that stuff is on. You can see it on YouTube. It's it was a TV show. I mean, I didn't make it up. It's right there. It's on TV. It's on YouTube. So the two spirits that you acquire, yes, happen because. In your story, in your uh, recounting the story to me, because you were in a morgue and they yep. were brought in on yes. stretchers, on the slabs. Yep, and, on the gurneys. And, uh, the gurneys. And why Why did they choose you again? Because there were other people there. Why did the spirits uh, go to you? Um, when, when you're in that environment and you're talking about paranormal things, there's really... There's no book that can, there's no study guide, you know what I mean? Because none of it's real. Um, does it actually happen? Have there been energies that have done things to certain th- people throughout time? Probably. Uh, is there a logical explanation for a lot of this? Yes, there is. But one of the common grounds in all religions, medical professions, throughout time, different cultures, uh, is that when somebody passes on, those seconds before and after that inter there's a moment where the when if depending on what you believe in when the spirit is separating and going into another dimension or whatever it goes uh it holds on for a few seconds and again nobody can prove any of this but it's what they say happens sometimes if it's a violent death what the catholic church says that spirit doesn't is doesn't understand why it's being forced to leave its body so it lingers around and hence 
that's where ghost stories and sightings come from. So some people say when a person is passing on and the last thing that that spirit sees and it's not ready to go yet, if it's a person, it latches onto that person just as an anchor because it's in a confused state. So those That's two why. bodies are brought in. You're there, yep. and uh-huh. and and you felt that you were the one that they anchor. Now, how do you know? Because you obviously you leave the morgue at some point. Now, are you like? How do you know? Like, are like when you order food, is the bill like two people higher every time? Like, uh, are you being charged for three instead of one when you go to the movies? How do you know that the spirits are with you? Is that true? You know, I used to be the wise ass. I think I've grown up, and I, you've regressed. I've, I'm 47, and I act like a goddamn 17 year old, don't I? I? I love you for it. But um, aren't we all 17 in our own avatars in our head? No, I'm 16. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you can answer the question of, of how did you know they, yeah. were, they were with you? <laughs> okay. Because there's, if you, if you play in that environment um, because of your beliefs, no matter what you say and how strong you become, things that you, you remember from your childhood, fears of going to church, for example, um, you hold on to things. And, you know, you start getting depressed, you get nauseated. Uh, you see things, you hear things. Um, there's a string of bad luck. Uh, all these different uh, urban legends all kind of accumulate. So um, I started noticing things because I would feel things at night. And my daughter, at the time, she was five. Five. She was five. And when she would stay over with me, she would tell me, Daddy, there's somebody here. So that that was enough. That was it. Gotcha. Um, let's shift gears for a second here. What happened to Lucha sure. Underground? Man, um, unofficially, officially, unofficially, I nobody knows because they won't say anything. They've never really told us. But I mean, I, I, my personal opinion is it just, it just, you know, too many chefs in the kitchen. You know, I don't. Yeah, it was just too many people with. Uh, I, 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 I think that was one of the reasons, and and the other big reason is is we never toured. We didn't do any live shows. I was going to say, do you think was there problem. was anything that was uh, structurally based that that made it difficult for it to survive the tour, and then also like the the seasonal installments. Um, I think people are used to wrestling being an ongoing entity constantly going on in their lives and that there's no end of one season start of the next i think that my, i love the product i have to say it's very hard for me to watch any wrestling product at all today um but it was so different and uh and it was intriguing and it was dark it was very dark i like that and uh but i think structurally we weren't ready for wrestling to be like a netflix series valid very valid yeah that's uh, yes yeah uh, I, I agree with you. I it was pretty innovative. It was quite a interesting concept. I I, I don't think the TV world was ready for wrestling, and wrestling wasn't ready for the TV world. What I mean by that is um, wrestlers uh, don't have a fixed income. They work. They get paid. If they don't work, they don't get paid. So we try to get as many shows as we can, especially on the independent level. So if you give a wrestler work and and for three months and then say, well, you can't work for the rest of the year, it's like, 
what am I supposed to say to that? Um, Were they that restrictive, the contracts? In the beginning, until everybody, we just, they had that look on, everybody knew right away that, oh my God, this is not going to work this way. We have to try to find a way to let these guys go uh, and do their indie shows. Um, There there were so many things behind the scenes, like like that discussion. It, It took like eight or nine months before they even addressed it. And the guys and girls are starving it started to get kind of rebellious because of that. And I don't blame the talent because, you know, um, th- there was just too too long for anybody to, come to, to answer things, too many people playing each other against each other. It, it, was, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. It was exciting. It was f- successful. But I, there were some things, you know, um, I, I, I think the deeper issues were above my pay grade. But I, I, I just think they dropped the ball and they, they couldn't get on the same page because, yeah, because the talent and the fans were there. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing is that the thing with Lucha was the problem with that federation was the opposite of every other federation in that the one thing that was perfect was the product. The people there and what was going on TV was, was what was great. So it had to be all of the things around it that were starting to erode it and eat away at it because I thought that it held yeah. up perfectly on television. I, it, was a, it was awesome. It was amazing. Uh, I think a couple things, you know, I, I don't like to say people shoot themselves in the foot because I don't have any right because I'm not in on those meetings. I, it's not my investment. I don't, I don't know the back end of it. But like after I... I forget it was the season after season one. It was like our season. Two, I forget we we were off like a whole year. Um, and those of us who who were fortunate enough to have Mexico or Japan um, understood how how to maneuver in those waters because that's what we do. But there was a lot of talent that went one year without an income, and a lot of these people. Uh, they just gave up on Lucha Underground and they, they, they left because they, their careers were on fire. And uh, even though Lucha Underground is responsible for putting a lot of these names on the map, if you're not going to let... I mean, I spent my whole life learning the guitar. You, I played one concert and it was sold out completely. And the tour starts tomorrow, but you're not going to let me be the guitar player on the tour. Then what am I doing here? You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. So the talent really were like, we just want to play. And they weren't allowed to play. And I think that started, that was the end of it right there, my friend. What was the, what work do you think was your best work while you were there? How many seasons? Yeah. What what are you most proud of that you did there? Um, I don't think I was proud of anything that I did. I was more grateful for what I learned from it. Um, I didn't really have a lot of experience as an announcer. So working with Stryker, um, I learned a, a lot, a, t- just so many things. Um, with Chris Joseph, um, the American psychology of constructing storylines uh, behind the scenes, for example, it's completely different than anything I've ever seen. Um, the directors of the vignettes, uh, th- those kind of things. I was so proud 
that I had the opportunity to learn from the best. Uh, I don't, I contributed like an agent. I, I think I, I'm a good motivator, you know, and I gave people confidence when they needed it. So they had great matches. Uh, I, 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 I don't think I, me, Vampiro or Ian, I don't think I did anything more than contribute to, to something special. Yeah. What's the, safe. if I were a worker and, uh, and by my body, you might be able to tell I'm not, um, what would you tell me? What piece of advice would you give me if I was trained, worked the Indies in the United States and I wanted a career in Mexico? What transition would I have to expect to make? Um, a big one. You know, you, you'd on today's day and age, you, you, it's not just learning the language. You need to learn the culture and the language because things in Mexico have, have escalated and changed over the last 15 years more than anywhere else in the world because of the advances in technology. Um, because before, because being a third world country, Mexico is always behind on certain things. Not anymore. The younger generation is very, very smart. So they're hip to everything. So uh, you can't go down there, you know, and get that classic USA, wear the American flag, cheap heel heat type thing. You know what I mean? So you need to educate yourself on uh, learning Spanish as a person in Mexico will speak, not from a book. Because they're going to look at you like you're a fucking idiot. Uh, and then learn the culture. So spend some time there before you start uh, committing to it as your home base. You know what I'm saying? Recon. Do some recon and uh, understand that there are probably 400 other guys that, that want the spot that you're about to take from them. So everybody's your friend. Everybody shake your hand. Everybody will help you. But keep your eyes open in the ring. Uh, always offer. Don't say, I want to do this. Always ask what the other person wants to do. Once they explain, say, hey, do you mind if we do this as well? Uh, always earn your your place. Go slow. Baby steps. Yeah. Um, what about the locker room? How is a Mexican locker room different than a United States locker room? Or is it? Maybe it's not. You mean aesthetically? <laughs> no. I, I, <laughs> yeah, no air conditioning, I'm going to guess, in most. There's no, there's, there's no toilet, no toilet paper. No, dude. No, 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 no. Um, I, I, it's, it's way different. It's way different. Um, in the United States, there's a certain culture. There's a certain uh, uh, ethical way to do things. Who, who says hello to who? Who's sitting where? There's that whole... Uh, frat boy uh, environment and that's hey that's the system and if it works that's great it's it's awesome uh the only thing that kind of makes me laugh is um the superstars uh b believe it you know what i mean it's just like you gotta be cool with that uh that doesn't happen in mexico there's no there's no elitism there's it, uh we don't believe the hype type thing mexico the big difference uh, from the United States is is uh, we 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 work just as much, even more than the American organizations who are constantly traveling, 
but we're not with the same crew. Like you don't, uh, I don't work with my partners that I'm working on TV and do that circuit. Like a in tour. Mexico, it's, it's not like a tour yeah, of the same guys. Like, you get mixed up. No. Every day it's somebody different. It's never the same, ever the same. So you need to be versatile in everything that you do. Uh, that That's a huge difference. So when the American boys come down, they have a hard time adapting to that because it's like, what the fuck? And they're like, vamp, what are we doing? I'm like, just, 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 just go in there. Do your thing. <laughs> What about the fans? Is it more, uh, are they more passionate, more bloodthirsty, more, do they believe a little bit more still than the Americans? The U.S. fans are so fucking jaded, either between the internet or just, you know, I always say nobody's ever going to be angry at a wrestler again. People would, you know, climb over the gate and try to slice Blackjack Mulligan or Roddy Piper. No one will be angry anymore at anything a wrestler does in the ring in the United States. Is it still that way in Mexico, or do you run the risk of getting your throat cut walking from the ring? Oh, you get the risk of getting shot stabbed. Oh, yeah, big time. Mexico, it gets heated, and the people are pretty fucking intensely passionate and committed. Um, the United States, it's a cycle, right? It, their fans kind of go in a circle. When, it's, when, they're out, when, the, when the demographic is outgrowing it, moving on, that new demographic is coming in. So they have a constant turnover of people, and they're always hot at for their niche. In Mexico, um, it's transgenerational. The fans, the great grandfather, the grandfather, the father, and the son, uh, Santo, el hijo de Santo, Santo Junior, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They, they, the families follow the wrestlers that's why the masks are such an important thing when it's mask versus mask because that mask has been in the family for three four generations and it has three four generations of fans so in mexico it's 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 almost like uh the passion for american football or baseball pro wrestling in mexico is on that level in the eyes of the fans it's pretty it's pretty special they're pretty intense and if you fuck them and you cross the line as a heel, yo, yeah, you, you, you need security for yeah. sure. See that? I mean, yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, it's not a good thing in the sense that you don't want anyone to get hurt, obviously, but it's a good thing in that you can still play with the fans' emotions somewhere. Whereas here, here, it's it's all spectacle. Everyone knows they're watching Darth Vader, and and that there's a human being under the mask. Let me ask you, since you spent so much time in Mexico, you must have, listen, being in the wrestling business in Mexico, you must have come across some of the cartels. They must have had some some influence and some integration into the uh, professional wrestling world. Am I wrong about this? There has never been in the history of prize fighting or wrestling uh, mafia involvement. What the fuck are you talking about? That doesn't happen, brother. Are what's you crazy? The, what's the mafia, right? That doesn't exist. I never heard of that. I mean, yeah, of course, sure. The narco, I mean, we, the narco culture. I mean, there's music about it. There's, it's, it's, it's become. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, some for more. It, it's, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, sometimes they would buy shows, private shows, just for them, and. uh I did I did three or four of those and and, and um that was uh scary scary oh, but all... the, the coke must have been so good right I uh 
What about the rats? What did they look like? Did did they have girls around for the private shows? Yeah, you can't. You can't. Uh, I mean, some of the at the, at that time when those shows, like when if I did drugs in my life, but never in a work environment, and especially being uh, being as famous as I as the character was, Vampiro was pretty over in his day, right? So I can just imagine some cartel dude uh filming that or you just you can't fuck around like that so some of the other guys yeah i mean they were gone for five six seven days couldn't find them because they were just you know another fucking planet um but the girls that were there you don't fucking look at girls at a narco party you just you just don't do that because they're with somebody because they're with somebody you're saying because you don't fuck yeah, man. fuck you up right there, dude. You yeah, you can't fuck with those. You don't do that. But I thought they would have yeah. pr- provided them for you. I thought it would have been like a kind no, of a lavish no, no, gift no, to the no, boys. No, 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 God, oh, fuck. All you, right. Dude. Yeah, the movie I'm reading in my head. That's what they gave you. They gave you pay, yeah. pay, blow, and and uh, and girls. No, you guys, you got to be careful with that. Speaking yeah, of being careful with that. things, are you are you still fucking around with the dead? Are you still in in Guatemala? What's going on with all this? Has have you gotten this part of your life out of your system now? Are you just uh... no? It's a continuing process of, of, of education. I'm I'm so many great things have happened. I've learned so many things. Uh, keep studying, you know, ritual magic. Keep studying all that kind of stuff. It's to me, it's fascinating. Um, and it's helped me so much. It's it's such an amazing experience when you when you get educated in in, in something that you want to learn about, right? So I'm I'm completely happy and satisfied with what I'm doing for sure. But doesn't it isn't it um isn't it uh, not against? I hate that word. Doesn't it run uh, counter? Let's let's say let's say me. Let's take me, not you, but me. Let's say I'm a member of the Order of the Freemasons. Let's say okay. Uh-huh. Now, wouldn't I be precluded from partaking in in activities like that? Like the the what do you call it? Black magic. What would be the alternative religion? What can we call it without offending anyone? The the, the study of the occult. What what do we call it? Yeah, you can say it like that. Okay. Because yeah. So wouldn't it be again? Wouldn't wouldn't part of my uh, my masonry be that I shouldn't do the other stuff? depends on how you present that conversation when you have to explain it. Um, it, it because all of it, it is educational. And if you really, really know the history of the Freemasons and the Templars and things like that, if you go back to those periods in time, it was all the same thing. So um, the rituals, the magic, the ritual magic in, in a nutshell is meditation. That's it. There's nothing to it. It's just, it's meditation and the spirituality and but there's certain secrets we know like the holy grail probably don't know where it is but we know what it is uh things like that um and and to me it's just extremely fascinating that that there are certain people in power when things changed over um how how, how corruption tries to manipulate everything and I love finding the, out the hard to find information about our history because it's nothing sacrilegious. It's nothing bad. It's it's where we come from. And I, I love those conspiracy type theory 
things, you know. Do you ever think about writing a book about uh, like d- different takes on history based on things you find out? We should write it together. Let's write that book. How about that? You got some free time? I mean, that's an awesome idea, but I forget so many things, man. The fucking trauma. I mean, I don't. I, 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 I don't know. How I, did you? How did you not get mixed up in the pills? I got you. You, t- you took some of the most hellacious bumps that. Yeah, I'd ever seen, particularly like that, like the like when the WCW, when you guys were on WCW. I mean, it was like every night it was like an event to see which one of you was going to come closest to death, based on w- w- what you guys were doing. How do you? <laughs> he, he just raised his hand, by the way, saying it was him. Um, how do how do you in particular not fall into the trap that so many of the other guys? I mean, we lost them. We lost them because of it. How are you still here? I don't. I I believe God had a different plan for me, um, or different something. I don't know, but because I fell into that, I, I, um, I I started using pain pills because I was just getting killed in Mexico because I was working so many times a day, every single day. So just to function, and I had such a high tolerance because back then, yeah, you don't know what to do, right? And and you gotta keep going. You gotta you gotta work. So. When I got to WCW, after my big injuries there, up until, you know, right around the beginning of Lucha Underground, I was, you know, there were some weeks and, and, and people say, oh, my God, you're crazy. And you, How come you're not dead? Well, I did have overdoses. You know, I was taking four to f- between 450 and around 600 Percocets a week. And that's a lot, you know. So, I mean, but. But how did you get you here? How did you get off it? Yeah, so I, I, it's just like, and and I, I think I got off of it easily. Not e- well, yeah, kind of easily actually, because I wasn't consuming them because I was a, an addict and I wanted that high. I was consuming them because I was an idiot and nobody told me any better, and my tolerance was so high that they weren't working. But I needed to keep going, and that was the only thing that there was. I mean, I took other things to get high. I didn't not those. Um, so I kind of knew that it was wrong morally, and um, I started. I was introduced to medicinal marijuana, and right around that time, it was becoming legal in Canada, where I was living at the time. But we were working in California with Luch Underground, and they had just legalized it. And uh, I'm 999.9% sure that as soon as I started taking the CDB, and with a little bit of THC at night, my anxiety started to clear up. I stopped the pills. And I would say no more than 48 hours, I was pretty much done. And I just I didn't have any withdrawals, which really surprised me. But I, I just think because morally and mentally and spiritually, I was ready to get off that shit, you know, because fuck, everybody was dying. And I was like, it's only a matter of time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I'm fucking 300 and 40 fucking pounds of water from all these drugs. Just a big fucking time bomb ready to blow up and have a heart attack. See, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a believer yeah. in the, in the CBD. I, I think that oh, uh, we, we have not you, even, brother. we have not even scratched the surface with what CBD will be able to do for people. And I had RVD on a couple of weeks ago and he has his own company, RVDCBD.com. Um, and he's manufactured. Of course, he went crazy and had them up the dosage to uh, like most bottles are like 
between 500 and 712 milligrams depending uh, total, depending on whether the 30-day supply is, is like a 15-milligram or a 30-milligram pill or gummy. His is like 3,000, his bottle. It's like it's, it's awesome. It's out of control, yeah. So, But I really think we just scratched the surface with this, and, I, and it's interesting to hear you say that that, that that got you off of the prescription drugs. Yeah, in a heartbeat. Um, and it changed my whole outlook on things, and uh, right away um, I started – um going like you know like semi-vegan very plant-based almost overnight and i think my body cleaning out you know all, all the processed foods and meat and all that kind of stuff there was such a a cleansing that happened i really didn't have the withdrawals uh, that i thought i was gonna and the and the medicinal marijuana calmed me down um like i, I it was incredible and I started losing weight and I started feeling better and my, the, the pain started to go away. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I think I saved, I saved my career, but who cares? I saved my life. Yeah. So yeah, I was pretty happy. Yeah. I just saw you on something the other day and, um, it was, uh, you were, it was a video. You were sitting on a bed with another gentleman or there was a bed in the background. I was, I was happy that the video didn't go in the direction I feared it was going to go. It was just an interview and yet you, you were talking you were calling out chris jericho and uh what's is there beef there i just i just don't know the, the history what what happened no uh no there's no i, I mean i don't have no no nothing Did, if you watch that interview i i put chris over pretty strong as a businessman as a role model and as, as somebody that the new generation needs to study, things like that, you know? And it's true. I mean, there's not a lot of guys in our in our business who's done what he is doing and has done and will do. Uh, but I, I... Yeah, it's the but that I'm after. The but... Go ahead. But, yes, but I'm always like... I'm kind of done in wrestling, you know? Because of my injuries and things like that, I don't really... I'm not really involved in it anymore because I'm doing so many other things. But I still have the bug, right? I mean, after three hundred thousand years um, in the business, you still, you still, I need that one more shot, one more shot, one more. And I'm like, fuck, there's really nothing because I'm, I follow it a little bit. I don't really watch it, but there's nothing that's really grabbing me. There's nothing that's really going. Fuck, I want to see that. You know what I'm saying? There's just, there's just not. What? You tell me. Am I wrong? No, you're not. And uh, yeah, so. Um, you know, in Mexico, when I come out and Conan's in the ring, because of our, not so much our history together, hating each other, our time in this industry, they just know these two dinosaurs are here. They're, they're going to fucking kill each other. And you don't understand the heat, the pop we get when we just stand in front of each other in the ring. So I was thinking, ah, there, ain't no, there ain't fucking nothing going on here. I said, but there's, you know, Jericho, we're both Canadian. He came to Mexico after me. He left. I was in a band. Now he's a musician. I'm a musician again. I'm like, there's nothing to think about. It's if you're gonna have friction with somebody, I, I just so I said, fuck, you're a fucking poser, dude. Because in, in the in the rock and roll world, you calling someone a poser, them's fighting words. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I I thought, well, fuck, everything's kind of been done already. But if you if you push the buttons, let's see if the fans can kick up enough dirt that somebody pays attention 
And it would be pretty cool if the fans actually create the angle. And what so happened? That's what I was trying. What happened? Well, it's blowing up like a motherfucker. Dude. It's all over the place, man. Has Chris all over? The place. Has Chris reached out to you? I don't think he'll. I don't. I don't think Chris would ever reach out to me. Only he'd, re, he'd reach out to push you off a building. I think that's about it. But I think he's on his tour, his, his cruise or something. Right now, so. I, I, I don't know, and I don't. I didn't do it for him. I did it. I did it for the, for the executives in AEW. Because I I kind of did my homework and I said, what's the best way to get that guy's attention? And I said, cause a scene in public because the, the guy lives on social media. I was like, all right. And th- th- so that was my idea. Let's just see what happens. And so it's to me, it's like creating a play. Or, you know, being a director of a movie, it's like, you can't shoot that scene. Why not? So let me, let's, let's see what happens. That That's the whole thing. That's it. Okay. That's it. Yeah. So, all right. So we, we don't have anything yet from Chris, but maybe something will happen. Think about, think about the run-in from those two fucking spirits from Guatemala. The run-in. You don't even yeah. see him. You don't even see him. He just gets pulled off and thrown across the ring. Yo, I'm telling you, homie. We get the people would pop for it. The people would pop for it. All right, let's so, let's man, see what's you know. on Twitter. We we uh, we told the world that uh, they could have access to you on Twitter. So uh, Salvatore Martone says uh, Gigi Allen wasn't talented. Uh, just some animal who shit on stage and cut himself. That aside, are you as big a fan as most of us are? No, not really. Okay. Um, Gosh, no, no disrespect. I'm just, uh, I get it. I totally get it. I get it 100%. I would probably be more of a fan if it was for real. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that's, I don't want to insult anybody or anything. Gigi Allen is very important. He's a special person. It's just not my thing. Johnny Royale. Who do you feel was the best character in Lucha Underground, and who do you think improved most from their time on the roster? Uh, you know, I think there's a tie there, but that all depends. What's the best? You know, if you look at um, uh, Ricochet, uh, he he's uh, fucking that <laughs> he's mind-boggling. Look at uh, Phoenix. Phoenix is 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 another one. It's like holy shit. Uh, pretty much everybody, but I think the ones you know, the girls improved. Um, Luchasaurus improved. Uh, Jeff Cobb. Everybody, um, of course, the one who improved the most, and and uh, you know, is, is Pentagon. Pentagon just became you know, an international superstar. So, yeah. John says, besides yourself, who do you feel was underutilized during your time in WCW? Besides yourself, who was underutilized? Well, I don't know why I was thinking about that. I don't, I'm not sure why people say that. Um, I was always in a storyline. I was with top players, you know. They were always trying to do something with me. Um, so you thought you got a you fair know, shake. That's fine. Yeah, I, I think so. 
more than the other new guys did. I mean, not a lot of the dudes got to pin Hulk Hogan or work with Ric Flair. I did. That was that was kind of exciting. I got to work with my hero, Umuda. You know, when I was with ICP and then they left, that and that kind of slowed things down. And then, you know, I, the angle was Sting. Sting just got tired of it. That slowed things down. Uh, they were going to give me the belt. Jeff Jarrett didn't want to do the job because he said it would affect, he would make more money with Goldberg. Um, th- those kind of things slowed me down, but I, I think I had a fair shake there. Okay. And me and Jeff are cool. Right? There's no heat there. No heat there. We've talked it out and, and uh, we laugh about it now. Who cares? Uh, he only cost me millions and millions of dollars, that fucking redneck. Um, who do I think was underused? Yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody was underused. I think anybody who's in a company like that, uh, they're there for a reason. And even if they only worked one time on a five-year contract, you still worked one time. Everybody got a shot there. Okay. Everybody got a shot. You know, just sometimes a boss likes that one better and are the fans call for this one. It, it's, it's, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. John Tenney, in keeping with this question, says, uh, how the fuck did ICP get jobs in every major North American wrestling promotion? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I guess because of the crossover appeal, they're obvious wrestling fans. They had the, you know, their own wrestling promotion. And uh, when they started doing guest spots on one, they got over and they started doing guest spots on another. And that was, you know, and at the time they were really, really in the media. So they're hot and any promoter wants something that's hot and that's it. You still in touch but, with them? Yeah, of course. And, but, and, and aside from all of that, they're extremely talented and they understand pro wrestling. So, you know, it, it, that's that. But yeah, yeah, we're in touch, you know, not every day, but, you know. So what are you up to? Where can we find you now, Vamp? What's your what's an upcoming project you can let us know about that we can get on board with? Um, I, I, well, I just, my documentary is doing the, the uh, festival circuit. As soon as that's uh, the circuit's done, there'll be a, a theatrical theatrical release. And so, its title is uh, "Nail in the Coffin: The Fall and Rise of Vampiro." Okay. Uh, I'm doing a lot of social work, uh, especially, you know, with, um, we've got a huge thing going on in, on YouTube right now, helping people with mental health problems. You know, as soon as I found out I had mine, uh, instead of, you know, running away and hiding an old me, I'd rather fight it, make fun of it and help people get through it. What so, is that exactly? So, what, what is your condition? Uh, I was diagnosed with the beginning stages of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And how old a man are you? Uh, 52. Okay. Yeah. But all the headshots, concussions, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I've been fighting it hard. That's the reason I moved to Las Vegas because, you know, a lot of neurologists out here and there's different medicines. You know, a lot of people here, boxers, fighters, they, there's, there's a little bit different studies done on brain trauma. Um, and I'm working with a, a, a team, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. My memories, I, I just don't have a memory. So uh, uh, that's that's kind of what I got going on. So I'm, I'm dealing with that. And because of the documentary and because of how much better I'm doing, we're doing part two right now, and it's going to be released on YouTube. Um, my journey to get better without 
traditional medicines. I'm doing alternative medicine. I'm doing Chinese medicine. Um, they're curing my arthritis through um, acupuncture and deep tissue massage. And it's probably the most brutally painful thing to go through. Uh, how, ever. Did they, how did they so, even dis- yeah. how did they even discover it, Ian? How how did you uh, suspect that at your age you would even have to contend with Alzheimer's? Were you forgetting things or, or just? Oh, it was yeah, yeah. I was uh, my train of thought. I, you know, I was manic depressive, and I couldn't figure out why because my life was great. I, I was I was there was nothing to make me depressed. So that was one. Uh, the drug use. Um, then I, my memory uh, was, re- it's really bad. Uh, and then I started slurring or stuttering or forgetting words. And I'd be mid-sentence and I'd forget where I was. Or I'd be standing in a in, in a shopping mall, just standing there. And, and the security would come and say, sir, are you okay? And I said, yeah, why? I said, well, you've been here for 15 minutes. I said, what do you mean? You know, I, I so those things started to happen. And I was like, I, I need to get something checked and you know, so we did brain scans and all these kind of things. And, and yeah, it came back like that. And it's, you know, from the headshots and all the concussions and stuff like that. But it's not like the end of the world. You know, when I talked about it for the first time, it's very scary. And it's extremely, extremely painful to see the people that you that love you suffer because they know you're sick. But fuck, I ain't going to die because of it. Just because I forget shit. I mean, I look. I think it's funny as fuck that I forget things. I, I absolutely love it because I'm never mad. I don't stress out because I don't know what the fuck there is to stress out about. I'm a video game fanatic, but I can play the same video game a hundred times and it'll be brand new every single time. I just don't remember it. It's awesome. Yeah. I can read the same book. It's I'm fucking happy, brother. You can very, very you, happy. You can hide your own Easter eggs. <laughs> Brother, you can you don't have to hide. You just don't know what the fuck you're half the right. time. It's 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 pretty cool. But um so obviously I if anything ever panned out in wrestling again, that's where I'd be. But if not, I got these other projects going with this the T V thing. I got there's another T V project I I'm under confidentiality. I can't speak about it, but we're gonna start shooting that in three weeks. Um and I'm in a band. I'm 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 touring with my band. Uh, we're recording right now. How do you uh, remember the, how do you band. remember the lyrics? That they, they hate me. They mm-hmm. fucking hate me cuz uh I've got the uh the lyric sheets in every rehearsal and right up till we go on stage. Um I still don't remember it, but when that when we're live, I don't know how it happens. It just fucking goes, brother. And it's punk rock and it's hardcore and it's loud and we're we're you know, we got some tours coming up. We're starting off in Central America, coming back up. We've got some shows in New York. We, we're booking a tour right now in Canada. Um, and we, we're talking to people in Spain. Things are really, really happening musically. And I, I just, I, I, I'm just so happy. I, I'm just so happy right now. Yeah. Good. You deserve it. You're, you're one of the people in the business that I enjoy being around. And it's because uh, you did things your way. Um, you, you didn't, uh, you didn't compromise and you've always, uh, you've always accepted your decisions and you've always done things differently. That was Vamp. Vampire is one of those guys that's gold. Just think he's gold. You didn't see him out on that shoot circuit much. You know, we put him on that U shoot. That was it. That was gold. And 
the the less the takeaway there, guys, and you've heard it for two weeks. Show is five years old, still talking about it. Victory. Okay, victory over. I don't care whether they're making fun of anybody, they're they're questioning his sincerity and that the spirits were flying over his head in Guatemala. Who gives a flying one? This is entertainment. If someone's talking about that was very Gene Simmons of this is entertainment. If someone is still talking about something after four years, you've won. It's a victory. I remember after writing King of the Nighttime World, um, when uh, Rolling Stone said it was absolute dog shit, and I found out that a bunch of uh, basement denizens uh, who couldn't get girlfriends that lived in their mother's houses were still talking about it after five years. That's victory. And it is. It's true. Um, Twitter, got to get you guys in. Always have to get you guys in. Uh, uh, Salvatore Martone, as a writer, could you explain when it is the right time to use a comma? I still fuck it up, uh, like I may have in this tweet when I used one word after the word writer. Um, I used one after the word writer. Um, yeah, th- there's a little bit of freedom there. There's a great book for anyone who's into this stuff called uh, Dreyer's English. And um, it's by an editor, a senior editor at a publishing house, who has fun with uh, the things he sees come in, uh, you know, in writers' manuscripts, and then, you know, kind of the real deal about, you know, about writing and what we've learned in school, which is often, you know, falls by the wayside. But as far as the comma, that could be, I mean, that could be an entire podcast. I could do an entire podcast about the comma. How about the serial comma? Let's just talk about the serial comma and what's happening to it. The serial comma, as I was taught, and I still write this way, is when your list of, let's say, people, Salvatore, Sean, and Bertha. The comma goes after Salvatore. The comma goes after Sean, comma, and Bertha. Whereas I I see people now in a list, that serial comma, they'll say, Salvatore, comma, Sean, and Bertha. Not the way I was taught, and not correct by the fucking way. Just not correct. And, I, you know, any kind of, and I think this is the, this is one of the effects that we don't talk about of, of the text, email, uh, generation. Here I go. I'm 100 fucking years old. I'm going to check my shorts for skids in a minute. Where are my teeth? I, I, do, I don't, I don't think that it could be ignored that one of the byproducts of the texting generation is that caution is thrown to the wind with grammar. Now, I don't believe we need to talk like it's 1865 still, but uh, and there are colloquialisms that you know that sand down our language a little bit and make it a little softer and easier and roll a little more trippingly off the tongue. But I I do think things like this are like that why would that ever change? Why would the rule of the serial comma ever fucking change? It's it's bad enough they've put conversate in the dictionary. I was told conversate is in the dictionary. It's converse. I, I, we're going to converse. To have a conversation is to converse, not to conversate. Who the fuck came up with conversate? I'm on conversate. We was conversating. Uh, you were conversing. From conversing comes a conversation. But you know what? Bastardized. It I think it showed up in the in the goddamn dictionary. 
People get worn down, but I just don't think the comma, the serial comma ever needs to be. You know, there are countries in Europe where there are councils, okay? I think France might be one. I'll double check this. There are councils, parts of the government, to oversee the integrity of the language such that a decision would be made by them on the serial comma before it ever appeared in something acceptable. Now, when you write fiction, when you write prose, you have a, you have a little luxury. You know, you're always writing uh, from the point of view of a character, so you know you can get a little creative in there. But Salvatore, as for your as for your question, the as a writer comma, could you explain to me when it's the right time to use a comma? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a that's a fine place to put it. Um, dram. Asks me, seeing as you like to write horror, any favorite books or movies in that genre? God, I was such a horror movie mark as a kid. You know, I was in the VHS generation, so I was there when VCRs first came out. So when I would walk into the um, to the video store where you can rent the videos, that horror section always got me. And I, and I tore through it. Madman, Maniac, the Joe Spinell classic. Could talk could do an entire show about maniac. I think I might. That's part of the, the enjoyment of this podcast. When I say fuck you, no wrestling this week, we're gonna talk about Howard Stern, or fuck you, we're gonna talk about Kiss. Fuck you, we're gonna talk about Joe Spinell and Maniac. And my ratings summarily drop off that week. It's so heartening to see that if I give you one thing off the beaten path, I drop twenty-two points on chartable. I look at my in the damn email every week. I don't seek it out, but it comes and it says, "Wow, you dropped twenty two points this week." Oh, I'm up twenty two points last week, by the way, since uh, since returning to the the wrestling gimmick with B. Brian Blair. Um, other favorite horror movies, um, you know, I liked the '80s uh, slasher stuff. I know there's some good psychological thrillers out there. I mean, The Shining, you know, all that big mainstream stuff. Uh, the Shining, uh, The Omen. Uh, then there's like the foreign stuff, uh, uh, Fulci and Argento, the Italian um, psychological horror gimmicks there, like Suspiria, uh, which was remade. I tried to watch it; it was pretty unwatchable. Um, so then, and then you've got the those bizarre ones that I used to see at this this theater down on Forty Fifth Street in Union City on Bergen Line Avenue in West New York in Union City, and it was uh, it, they would do this feature like the two horror films, um, double feature. It would be like uh, like uh, House by the Cemetery with Splatter University. I actually think that was an actual uh, pairing that I enjoyed uh, very much. But those kind of uh, schlocky, low-budget horror films, Basket Case, all of them. I saw all of them. I devoured them. Reading, my first book that I ever read was Pet Cemetery, And, you know, from there, I, I think I read uh, whatever came, what came out right after that. Um, and, oh, It, I think, was, was shortly after that. I tried that. I don't think I got through the whole thing. I was in, like, sixth grade. I'm, this thing's a thousand pages. I I, gotta, I just discovered beating off. I'm going to sit here and, and read this book. Um, so there was that, and then I started reading um, uh, uh, Dean Koontz, uh, Whispers, Watchers, Phantoms. 
Yeah, so I mean, those all those are all in that category. Uh, last one, I'll finish you up. Instagram, a wrestling historian says, "What's your favorite timeline interview?" Uh, from a historical sense, and I'll go there since it says Instagram, a wrestling historian. Um, Bruno Sammartino. It's you know we got him. We got him before he was gone, and uh, it was the it's the kickoff. It's the first disc on that collector shelf. Or digital shelf if you're streaming us at uh, the KC Vault at uh, kcvault.pivotchair.com. Um, so all the all the timelines to follow. So from a historical standpoint, that was a great one. Um, our bank account liked uh, Jim Cornette's, uh, any of his, um, his WWE ones or WCW ones. Um that's uh, you know that's always a good thing, and, and I kind of get that a little bit. Where they say the best match is the one that makes them make the most money. Well, maybe, maybe the best timeline is the one that made the most money. You know, so you got to see Corny for that, or Nash. You know, Nash is right up there too. That's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. Are you telling me I'm done? Oh Jesus, Christmas! It never comes fast enough. I'll tell you. You wheeled me the hell out. All right. Thank you for listening. It's been a production of. Sean Oliver Media, music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, and help produce this show. Go to patreon.com slash podcast for God's sakes. The world's been democratized. You can be a part of it. Ciao, bella. <laughs> <laughs>